Hey Zebra friends, my name is Neil and welcome to this episode 82 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We are here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers. This episode I'm going to be joined by my very own Man of Steel, James, who has a very special and very cool interview that you're going to get to listen to in a little bit. I've got a couple of news headlines to cover off and as always I have some recommendations for you. But um, let's start off with the news. Roll that music. Since we last spoke, we got a brand new trailer for the upcoming Scream 6, otherwise sort of known as Scream IV or Scream. The film is coming to cinemas in the UK in March, and this trailer gives us a much better idea about what to expect than the first teaser that came out a few weeks ago. So we now know this is a very different kind of ghost face killer. Looks like he is very much out to get Gale, uh, played by Courtney Cox, who does return for this film he also or she or they should i say do seem to have connections to sam and her past that was explored a little bit in the previous film i'm not going to spoil it in case you've not seen screen five but we certainly do see her discussing a potential darkness within and there is a shot of her holding the bloody ghost face mask which clearly is probably going to be some misdirection but certainly for this trailer is trying to suggest to us that there may be a sort of dark side to her that could be connected to or make her potentially this film's uh, ghost face. Something which I find really interesting about this trailer is there's a reveal of what seems to be like a trophy room with um, memorabilia of I'm going to guess all of the previous ghost faces which seems like there's a real, it could be related to the stab movies as well I suppose, um, seems like there's a real legacy sense to the story in this one and obviously we have Hayden Pantier back as um, Kirby who was last seen in was it Scream 3 or Scream 4 and she joins uh, the cast this time around in New York so this again is the first film that's not set in Woodsboro it's directed again by um, Matt uh, Bettelini-Olpin and Tyler Gillett who uh, directed the previous film and the full cast for it includes uh, so Melissa Barrera, Jasmine Savoy-Brown, Mason Gooding, Jenna Ortega who all returned from the previous film. Uh, then they have Dermot Mulroney, Samara Weaving, Tony Revolori, Jack Champion, Liana Liberato, uh, Devon Nakoda, Josh Sagara, and Henry Zerny. Uh, Courtney Cox confirmed to, to appear, and obviously, uh, as I just said, Hayden Panettiere as well, who returns. Uh, no Neve Campbell this time around, which is very well documented, and we don't need to go into that here. They've also released a brand new cast poster, which you can check out over on our website, uh, which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk if you haven't been there before. Uh, so they've done the usual where we've had a teaser poster, which is Ghostface's Mask. We had a cool uh, New York subway poster that was very much in the theme of this film. And now we have a full cast poster featuring headshots of everyone who is in the film. So we've kind of got our first looks at people like Samara Weaving, who we don't really know quite how they fit in uh, to the story overall, and Tony Revolori, who you'll know from the recent Spider-Man trilogy as well. Just a reminder that the film comes to UK cinemas on March the 10th, 2023, so we'll definitely be bringing you a review for that one closer to the time. Another major story that's broken in the last week, we finally, finally have a teaser trailer for the upcoming second season of Prime Video's Invincible. It's been two years, I think, since the first season aired, and we know they've been working on it. They were picked up for a second season very quickly, 
but we've had no idea when we were going to see any footage from it or when the series would debut. And now we know that it's coming in quote unquote late 2023. So the teaser is brilliant because they, they certainly know that fans have been clamoring for some kind of news on when the show would be back. So the teaser, which again you can see on our website, features Invincible, played by Stephen Yoon, and Alan the Alien, voiced by Seth Rogen, sitting together in a diner. So they're in Bergamart, which is a, a location that's famous from the, the Invincible world. And the two just discuss the fact that fans are fed up of waiting for news and fed up for, of waiting for new footage. And poor Invincible explains that he's been very, very hard at work. And there's a nice little montage of footage where he shows us how hard he has been working on new episodes. And as the teaser kind of wraps up, we just get the fact that it is hopefully, maybe, definitely sort of coming in late 2023. So at least we know that we have something to look forward to this year. All being well, uh, what late 2023 means is beyond me, but maybe we're looking at sort of a September, October premiere for brand new episodes. Don't know how many episodes yet, but at least we know that it's coming. Uh, did you check out this teaser trailer? Do you feel frustrated by the fact that we still don't have a premiere date or any real footage from it? Or are you excited that finally Prime is giving us what we're looking for? Uh, let me know. You can find me on social media at NeilVag, or you can find us at Get Your Comic Con on all major platforms. Finally, this last week also brought us our first look at the returning cast from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, as uh, it's confirmed exactly who will be involved in Netflix's uh, upcoming special, which is now known to be called Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Once and Always. The teaser video features snippets with David Yost, who played the original Blue Ranger Billy. We've got Walter Jones, who played the original Black Ranger Zack. There's also Catherine Sutherland, who was the second Pink Ranger, so she was Cat. And then we have Steve Cardenas, who was the second Red Ranger Rocky. We also get to see little snippets of Karen Ashley, the second Yellow Ranger Aisha, and Johnny Youngbosch, who was the second Black Ranger Adam. We know that um, Austin St. John is not involved. We also know that Amy Jo Johnson, the original Pink Ranger, is not involved. She has said that it's not that she turned it down. It was just that it wasn't the right thing for her and that there were other things in the pipeline. And we also know that it had sadly been turned down by Jason David Frank before he passed away in November of 2022. But we do get to see these reunited Rangers. There's footage and stills of them both in costume, in the command centre, out in the field with their morphers and in action. I think for a while fans weren't sure whether this was going to be a kind of reunited, like almost like the Friends or Harry Potter reunited specials where they sit down and just talk about what it was like to be in the show. But it certainly seems that this is some kind of scripted special that has the Mighty Morphin team as they are now reuniting for one final adventure. Uh, other cast members who are expected to return, we believe Barbara Goodson, the voice of Rita, will be returning as well as Richard Horvitz, who voiced Alpha 5. And then there'll be uh, the new edition of Charlie Kirsch, who plays Min, who is going to be the in-canon daughter of original Yellow Ranger Trini. Obviously, uh, Trini was played by Choi Trang, who passed away at the age of 27 in 2001. So sadly, obviously not involved with this, but they're going to give her a wonderful kind of nod and legacy through uh, this this new Yellow uh, this new Ranger played by her her daughter. You can check out the video now over on our website and we'll be bringing you more news on the Power Rangers 30th anniversary very, very soon. That's it for the news this week. Now, let's go into something very, very special. Now, 
if you know James, then you'll know that he is an absolutely huge Star Wars fan. So he came to me recently and asked about reaching out to someone who you'll hear in a minute to potentially do an interview. Obviously, I said yes. I thought it was going to be an awesome opportunity for him and I really wanted him to chase it down. And thankfully, it happened. And he sat down very, very recently with this person to talk about their very exciting upcoming event and uh, and tour, shall we say. And you know what? Why don't, why don't I leave it to him? He will introduce you now to what you're about to hear. And then you can sit down and listen to this very, very cool interview, which will also be available on our YouTube very, very soon as well, if you want to watch the chat that the two of them had. So over to you, James. Hello, super friends. James here. And I have something very special for you today. The Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra are bringing a Star Wars show on the road, which will be taking fans um, on a journey throughout Star Wars, um, doing music from each film and celebrating the music of John Williams. Um, I had the absolute pleasure of talking to the conductor, Pete Harrison, um, and we discussed things all Star Wars, orchestras, and the uh, even the importance of going to concerts and, and how special that experience can be. Um, so check out our full conversation and... Um, Hopefully see you at the show. Hi, Pete. Hi, James. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Thank you so much for taking time to talk uh, talk with me about the upcoming um, kind of Star Wars definitive concert that is um, doing the rounds. Um, very excited to go, of course. Great. Um, and I was looking at kind of just Star Wars in general, um, and with a show this kind of big, expanding through the entire Star Wars kind of galaxy. I was just wondering how you went about picking those certain themes, songs across all, you know, nine films. Um, how did you go about picking your favourites or which ones needed to be showcased? It's, I mean, it's such a tough task because there is, as you say, there's so much music in these films that John's written, uh, so many themes, so many things that become part of our culture. That's one of the things I love about John's music. It becomes part of our culture. Look at the two notes in Jaws, look at the five notes in Close Encounters. And, you know, uh, if anything heroic, da -da -da, da -da 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 -da, it was straight away in there. But um, we are, I suppose, um, I wouldn't say confined by it because there are other ways of doing that. But um, yeah, John is, is wonderful and he publishes a lot of his music through his signature editions. Um, so rather than um, maybe someone doing an arrangement which maybe gets published or um, just does the rounds, should we say, um, it's nice that um, John's actually published his definitive versions of the music in his signature editions. So um, there's a lot of those out there now. He has, I suppose, picked the main themes from the original 1977 film, um, from the, the Skywalker saga, and then so on. Of course, he's catching up now with the latest ones. Um, we, we don't have anything from the latest, latest as yet, but um, no, we certainly do for, for all the other films. Uh, Rise of Skywalker, I think the signature tradition isn't out as yet, but um, that we, we do have plenty from, from the other ones. Uh, and then from there, I mean, it, it's not really a case for choosing what we don't do. We're pretty much doing all of it, I think, because it's, it's, it's so good. Um, we'll, um, our big dilemma, I think, as much anything, was how do we do it? Now, do we do it in all of the films came out? Do we do it in from series, um, episode one? right the way through um do we do it um to make it more of a musical balance so you know i think you know without giving anything away we we do have to start with the main theme you know i love that um you know that that's 
that was the first note that um, uh, the, the trumpet player, Morris Murphy, played with the London Symphony Orchestra. His first date with the orchestra as the new principal trumpet there, he goes in and John hits him with that great big down, that chord at the beginning. And as, as John talked about, when he heard that first chord, he thought, right, this is the guy, this is the orchestra I want. You know, <laughs> it's wonderful. So um, that's uh, it, that's our dilemma at the moment. We're sort of, which way around do we go? It'd be nice to make a musical band. So I think we're going to start with that and finish with something suitably big, but we've just got to control the flow throughout. Um, it could be quite tempting just to get big the whole way through, but um, you know, there is so much beautiful, gentle stuff as well. You know, the uh, layers theme, Yoda's theme, um, the Across the Stars, all these um, sort of more gentle. And how do you get a love theme into Star Wars, for God's sakes? But <laughs> John being John manages it because he's so wonderful about what he does. <laughs> so. Brilliant. I mean, like you said, that there's so many different ways you can go about it. Um, and I, I just, I remember I was at the show, I was talking to Heidi, um, I was at the show just before lockdown. And I remember you, um, before the show ended, you announced that you were doing a Star Wars definitive um, collection and you played um, Across the Stars on that show. And that's mm. the first time I've heard it live. Um, I've, I've seen many concerts, films in, uh, in shows, but that's the first time I've ever heard Across the Stars in concert. And mm. it was so so wonderful and when i heard that you were doing um just a show purely dedicated to souls oh i was made i was so so happy so i'm so excited that it's finally here and you know it kind of draws me back to this question what is it about the music of styles or even john williams in particular that kind of resonates with audiences but has allowed it to maintain popularity for for decades I think John drew on such a, a vast cultural heritage of um, music, not just classical music, because <clears throat> he's lots of influences in classical music in there that's more than stood the, the test of time. But um, he harks back to the, um, the, the early days when uh, the golden age of cinema, when the likes of Korngold, Franz Waxman first came over from Germany, um, avoiding the war. Um, that they first appeared was the eventual Robin Hood. I think wasn't didn't Korngold describe that as a film that literally saved his life because the Angelus happened shortly afterwards in um, in, in Austria, Germany. So um, he came over. He wasn't intending to, but um, Korngold was described as a genius uh, when he was about fourteen. I think it was by Mahler. Um, so he wrote all this wonderful music. Um, uh, you know, a, a, a genius like him coming into Hollywood and writing this kind of stuff was just phenomenal. So those Errol Flynn films, um, Captain Blood, Seahawk, all these kind of things. The first time you hear and see those, that music, you go, hang on, where did that come from? That is, it's proper, proper big music. Then it went on an interesting journey after that. Um, going through more contemporary scores, which of course, you know, music has to grow and the industry has to grow. But I think it was John that put this back in again, this full symphony orchestra re-established it, but not only re-established it, he, um, he takes these themes uh, against, not stolen, but lifted, used, borrowed um, in great tribute to the, the likes of and Wagner as one of his great heroes. Um, that great ring cycle, there's massive four operas that take about a week to perform. <laughs> That's each one. <laughs> they go on forever. But, you know, that, there's got such structure through them. And there's a the theme for Wotan's Spear. There's a theme for the, the, the Rhine, for Brunhilde, for the Valkyrie, all these um, themes that come back and just help us 
see where we are, what we're doing within a film. And John absolutely took on that. He, he embraced that. There's the different themes, layers theme is a lovely example. When we finally waited all those years for The Force Awakens to come, how many years that was, we're waiting 20 odd years, wasn't it? Um, and then suddenly out of the shadows of the ship, we see this dark, who's this figure coming through? And you hear Leia's theme playing in the background and there's this old lady, you know, and th th there was Leia all those years later. If you hadn't known that music was there, I think that's for me is what does it because he writes such beautiful music um, and it ties the film together. Try watching some of the scenes without the music. You watch the end of um, Force Awakens, um, The New Hope, without the, that music playing, the, the throne room in the end title. It's nothing. It really isn't. There's quite a few examples if you hunt around or people say, hmm, have listened to this without it or watched it. <laughs> but isn't that the same of all films? But uh, I think it's just that um, integrity that John has with his music, harking back to some of the great film composers. Uh, as I mentioned, Eric Korngold, there's the famous thing of um, Korngold and um, his music to King's Row. That was a very famous piece of music that, um, you know, I wouldn't say John stole from, but it was lightly borrowed uh, for the, <laughs> the main theme. Um, but John does a lot of this borrowing, but he does it with such integrity again. And he always puts his own stampable authenticity on it which I, I think is absolutely wonderful. He, he talks about writing with a cloak of different composers on, you know, it might be um, Korngold or Strauss or Wagner, uh, Tchaikovsky, Holst, etc. for Star Wars. It might be um, uh, Aaron Copeland for a film like uh, Lincoln, but whatever he does, it's always got that stamp of John on it. And I think that's what's made the films, you know, it's interesting, they, of course, they re-edited the first three films, didn't they? Um, and, and added all things, Little even E.T. appears at one point on the new ones. I thought that was a, a lovely little touch. But the one thing they didn't change was the music because John does it so well. And there's all the points in the music. John does it old school. He's got the big screen up there and uh, he's actually just watching, listening, listening, he knows at that point that's coming up and bang, that's got to fit with that. And, you know, proper, really, I mean, proper old school, if you see what I mean. So I think that's what makes it work. And that's what made the whole thing work so well. Um, and that's why the music is still so much in our culture and why concerts like this are still so popular. It's it's amazing. It's, um, you know, being able to, there's, there's not an experience like listening to, film soundtracks just live with a full orchestra and I think what separates some of the other shows is you bring such a life to them by interacting with the audience providing little stories with them and it, it almost feels like a journey um, whenever I see the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra do it um, because it's not just the music there's also the history behind it there's um, reasoning behind it and I think what's interesting with the kind of like the Star Wars world is you're going to be um, dealing with fans from different generations, um, fans that got um, into Star Wars for different reasons. And, and kind of with that in mind, where did your Star Wars journey start for you? 1977. <laughs> I, was, I remember that first film and we saw episode four thinking, hmm, what, what, what have I missed? You know, but... You know, when you saw that and you saw that, that, that the scroller disappearing off and then then starts the story, you know, that, that was it for me. I was hooked. I was I playing things in back in the I, I guess I was. I was. Yeah, I was, I, I've had a sort of musical upbringing. My parents were both musical enough and we always had music in the house. So I was playing in instruments at that point, but certainly not in orchestras. But I just remember being struck by that, that, that first chord and, and the, the 
the, the, the main title of it and, and then how it suddenly changes as we sort of shoot off into space and you know I still get a uh, you know even these days get a sort of shiver whenever time we get to that point in, in the main theme as we disappear off but that that was it for me then of course just waiting for the um, you know the, the other films to come out I mean I love the fact that you know they didn't even know they were going to do the Empire Strikes Back <laughs> they didn't know the story they, a lot of it was just they just made the film Oh, and actually we're going to do another one. And also that relationship now won't give anything away in case anybody's still not quite sure. Um, there's lots of, I'm still not quite sure what's going on, to be honest, but <laughs> it's such a, a big old thing. But I just love the fact that, um, you know, they, they grew it from there and, you know, it, it kept me utterly gripped. It really did all the way through. Uh, they lost me a tiny bit, maybe in the, the, the prequel series. Uh, I think some of those bits were, yes, interesting. But, you know, the, the, the especially culminating in, in you know, the, the last film, Rise of Skywalker, is just just brilliant we watched it again the other night here and um my wife hadn't seen it before so and she said oh my god this is proper this is like the proper old ones again this is really and she was you know gripped by it and again there's the music and still using the themes just to help who's who what's what and adding new themes in of course as well now with ray and, and all these um new people coming in it's uh you know it, and again it just puts it in place but then when the themes just change a little bit that there was that theme but then it goes into the major as um um kind of Ren becomes Ben again and and suddenly it's oh oh there we are it's uh you know it's loads of little subtle touches which I think um make all the difference and you know that it just allows us to go oh there we are with it and it, it carries us through um the, the whole story I think and yeah that, that was my start with it anyway I loved it oh there are so many like um musical highlights and, and you've mentioned so many of them and you know um, my personal ones would you know Jewel of the Fates um uh, which just you know it's jewel of the fate um yes, but also yes. looking at the, um kind of sequels and mentioning that subtle change is um i absolutely loved kylo ren's theme um and i always remember from like the force awakens it being really dark and brooding but then as you go through to like the last jedi and and uh, rise of skywalker it almost becomes a lot i don't know sadder i guess in a way softer as you see this evolution of of Kylo Ren becoming gradually Ben Solo again. Yes. And I loved hearing that. It was, yes. it was, yeah, loved that one. And yeah. you, again, you've mentioned so many of them before. Do you have any particular favorite tracks from across all of Star Wars that, that you, that really kind of struck a chord with you? I think Leia's theme is one of my absolute favorites. It really is. It's just, to me, it just works. Something about John's music, it, you know, if, if you hear something, and of course everyone's got their own opinions, everyone's got their own tastes about food, about culture, about everything, sport, everything. But for me, that theme just works. And whenever we do that in concert, it always, again, uh, you know, I get the goosebumps all over the place. Uh, doing that it's it, that's for me is one of I think the, the greatest bits in and, and of course used uh, throughout the film anyway I say when when she reappeared in um, in The Force Awakens it was you know it's it, it, there's the music it's her isn't it <laughs> it, was, it was a lovely moment it's it's amazing what composers can do in terms of creating sounds that you immediately identify like characters with it's I, I think I love that people are, um, not that they ever did, but I love that people are understanding more how important music is um, mm. in terms of like the big blockbuster. And looking back at like films in concert and, and playing the, 
orchestral um, suites live. Um, do you think our relationship with film soundtracks has changed across the years? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, the, the, there's so many things to say about this. I think um, a neighbour of mine came and saw um, uh, a concert we were doing with Bournemouth a while ago, and um, he was just blown away. He said, there's something, there's nothing false in that room. It's you and a bunch of musicians all plucking, scraping, squeaking, thump, you know, blow, doing something. And you, they all come together and they make the sound. And he said, that sound was just electric you know he said i was going kind of, to uh, gripped from the from the outset of it so for me um bringing these uh, film music concerts you know which is incredibly accepted these days there was a time it's really looked down upon classical music oh film stuff ooh, classical music is the thing but i think again thanks to the likes of uh, john williams my gosh we could mention james horner jerry goldsmith etc etc with all these as well zimmer as well um you know you could add all these in but i think what they've done is that they've made it I wouldn't say acceptable, but in fact, the Classic FM have programmes now, Radio 3 has a programme. Um, uh, I've just been doing some work in Germany, Classic Radio, their equivalent over there. They've, you know, we're just doing a film music concert over there. It's very much part of it, and it, that's what gets bums on seats these days. Um, so that the, the nice thing I always try and say is, if you've enjoyed this film music concert tonight, come and see the orchestra again. It's, you know, because you'll hear that, but you'll hear the original sources of inspiration for, for John. You'll hear Tchaikovsky, you'll hear um, Wagner, you'll hear Korngold and so on in slightly different terms. Maybe it's the Korngold Violin Concerto, a beautiful piece of music, but you listen to that, you can hear bits of Star Wars in it, you can hear bits of E.T. in it. You know, that, so that for me is um, fantastic. And I love the fact that we can, I can just refer to maybe, I don't know, Bridge of Spies, that very end theme of that, where Tom Hanks comes in, collapses on the bed and there's a thing on the news. And his wife said, were you anything to do with that? And he was sound asleep. You take that music, I can mention that, play the music and everyone goes, wow, yes, I remember that. If you didn't have the music and, you know, two actors came in and just did the scene uh, to no music. <laughs> A little bit dull, I suspect. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's it's made audiences realise that um, the, the power of the orchestra, and I hope you know, just made the orchestra a bit more popular again uh, as a you know as a night out. I still think it's one of the greatest nights out you could ever have. Go and see an orchestra somewhere. We were just recently in America, and you know, I always look up to see uh, what orchestra was playing in Portland, up in Seattle at the time, and go and see them because different orchestra, different world, different country, different. Everything is going to be a different sound. And, you know, that's one of the highlights of our trip, I think, for me, that was so. Absolutely. It's such a um, it's such a wild experience. And whenever I see kind of the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra in, um, you know, in my hometown, the mm. energy is always so it's, it's always so vibrant. Um, you're always getting people involved, especially um, I think one of my favourites was um, anytime it's uh, Williams versus Zimmer. It's like you're you're trying to start a fight here. Uh, <laughs> who you prefer, and everyone gets involved, and it's it's so much fun. It's it's mm. about the music, but it's also about um, the differences between composers and the similarities between composers. And mm. I think what's as a conductor, you spend a lot of a lot of your time with your back um, towards us. You don't get to see us, mm. but the audience reactions, um, the energy in the room, how, how does that make you feel when you're on stage? Uh, you can really feel it. You really can. Um, even though, I'm, as you say, I'm, uh, you know, I'm presenting the wrong end of me, as it were, <laughs> to the audience. But 
um, you can definitely, definitely feel it. Uh, I remember in early days of doing things like this, uh, coming off at the interval and saying, oh God, it feels a bit dead out there. But my wife was in the audience and she said, it's absolutely not. They are gripped and because they're, they're so gripped by the music, what you're doing where and the colours you're making and, you know, the picture, then you've taken that into that. And, you know, I, I try and do a few little things. I might put some... Um, um, the uh, you know Zimmer stuff, Gladiator and Pirates of the Caribbean together because <clears throat> he uses the same music. <laughs> and I might put uh, some uh, Seahawk next to ET because that was the piece of music Spielberg said to him. Have listened to that music from Seahawk by Eric Korngold, and you know that's the kind of thing we want for um, the music for ET. So you know that's you know I love putting little things like that together. So uh, you know audiences can be quieter sometimes, but then suddenly at the end, all up on their feet, shouting and screaming. But you know it, it does. You can feel it, and I think, oh, have we not nailed this one? What what we haven't quite got right? But you know, um, my wife would just say, no, it's okay. They are loving it. It's just because they're loving it. Um, they're just being really quiet and absorbed. And I hate it when I go to concerts and the conductor or the presenter, or whatever. Come on, stand up, get, come on. So, oh, no, if I don't want to stand up, forgive me. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm really enjoying it, but I'm, or maybe I'm not enjoying it, but um, don't make me do something I don't want to do. And, you know, the audiences must feel very welcome. And I want them to just um, have their ears open and it just enjoy. And I want to catch them there, right, right in the middle of it, you know, where it's, well, not where it hurts, but you know, I want them to come away with a little bit of a tear and you know, being taken places, and maybe have a few goosebumps along the way. You know, I, I think that's important. Wagner did a lovely thing. One of the film concerts we did, we did um, the uh, funeral march from Tristan, and um, he does a thing there. He's you know, this, Wagner, my gosh, he made his own theatre because it wasn't big enough. But for that point, all the lights go out and he, he floods the stage with uh, fog from the River Rhine as the funeral procession appears. So he said, "This music." has to be listened to. Don't want anything else going on. You just need to listen to this music. Then as the funeral procession goes, then you know it does get into a bit more into the scene. But you know, it's it's like when you get silence in a film, silence can be incredibly powerful sometimes, can't it? You know, too much music and if you haven't got the spotting sessions right, then that's that's an awful thing. <laughs> so, you know, but if I can get the audiences to do a bit of that, then uh, you know that that's the important thing for me. It's it's you know like I said it's um an amazing experience just being able to sit um, and it's so different compared to other trips to the theatre or trips to your local venue because you know if you're watching pantomimes there's that audience participation um, if you're watching a show um, there are moments to laugh at there are um, moments to get involved with but whenever I see you know the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra or any films um, being done live it's just utter silence you really kind of get in the, involved in the scene, and where it's like a like a compilation of all the greatest hits, it just takes you on a journey like reliving your favorite moments. And I think that's what's really special about um you know what you do and and what you bring to fans specifically is it's a journey from you know from your very first moment in Star Wars to to the present day, and I don't think that can ever be replaced ever no. like. This. It just, it's not listening to the music in the film you hear it for the first time it's absolutely mind-blowing but there is something so innocent and pristine about hearing it live just I think I don't think people who haven't experienced a concert don't understand what it's like being able to hear your favorite track being played to you right in front of you 
exactly and with warts and all as well we will make mistakes there will be you know you might get a funny noise you might get somebody sneezing or burping loudly in the seat next to you so all part of the fun of going to a live concert but that is the whole point of it you know we get very used to listen to cds where you know you can spend a whole day doing a, a few tracks on a cd just to get them absolutely right but no you're you're dead right it's that live performance and that live feeling um and i think the, the beauty about john's music is that you can uh, you can feature a whole evening of his music, uh, either just from one series of films. Oh, man, that's remarkable in itself. That if you try, imagine trying to do that with John Barry. So you could do all of Out of Africa, which is great. Or you could do, uh, you know, a best of John uh, Barry, you know, Dance of the Wolves and Zulu and so on and so on. Um, but even that would still, after a little bit, might get a little bit samey, I wonder. Same, same with Zimmer. You know, he's got a, a, a slightly broader breadth by the time you go back to... Um, uh, Beautiful Laundrette and Miss Daisy and all those kind of things and come right up to date with Interstellar. But, um, you know, I think John has got such a broad brushstroke. If you take all his things from the, um, oh, uh, the, the, the what's the um, memoirs of a geisha, you know, that kind of sound world through to Tintin, through to there's so much. We're not even doing that. We're just doing Star Wars, we're going to say. So, you know, but there's, there's enough in there. And as you say, hearing it live is nothing like it. There really isn't. I still get goosebumps, as I say, now. And I've got the best scene in the house, pretty much. <laughs> so, <laughs> Brilliant. And one last question, Edward. Uh, I feel like it, it might be a bit of a tricky one for you. Do you have I'm a ready. film soundtrack, like in general, just one that um, maybe a, a specific track or just a film that you think has a very memorable soundtrack that just stays with you? Mm, good question. Can I can I do two or not? Yes. No. No. I, I, there are no rules. You can. And <laughs> yeah. um, um, they are both John. Um, um, Jaws. First one for me. Um, I think that was the first one where he tied all his, you know, thoughts and ideas from his early days. Um, working, he worked with some of the great Hollywood greats, you know, Herman, he worked with a lot. And of course, Herman worked with Hitchcock and that Hitchcock relationship with those two and him and Spielberg, I, I draw lots of parallels there. But um, I think that that theme um, in, in Jaws, just the two notes, and Spielberg thought he was joking when he first played it to him, but then realised he wasn't. But also just as well, because that flipping shark didn't work, did it? That mechanical one. <laughs> called Bruce after Spielberg's lawyer, but you know, for the reality, they filmed it all out at sea, took it out, turned it on and it sunk. So, you know, that <laughs> I love that, that, that story. Um, but that's when the music became into it because it's, isn't it a better film? When you see the camera going through the water and you see people splashing away in the distance and then you suddenly hear, boom, 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 boom. Oh my God, goosebumps already. You think oh, that became scarier than any slightly rubbish plastic shark or mechanical yeah. shark, you know? So, but it's just the way he builds all that and the way he uses the music to uh, complement all the scenes. And it's his first, um, I suppose, using these themes, these light motifs, and first time properly tied it all together. And the film and the music, absolutely like this. There's that for me, um, just because of that, as much anything else, such a groundbreaking film. But the other one for me is ET. I just love the film ET. It's uh, the music is stunning. Again, very corn gold based. Um, a nice little tribute to was it? I think to Tex Avery wasn't it, a cartoonist, and you don't see any adults apart from Elliot's mum um, uh, above the waist for the first half of the film. It's all wow. below the waist for any adults. So the, the guy in the forest on the wood, you see his legs downwards, like, like in all the Tom Jerry films, uh, cartoons. You know, it's a little tribute because it focuses more on the kids 
Um, yeah. they, they filmed it all in absolute order as well uh, as it came. They didn't do a bit of this, bit of that, bit of that, just because of all the you know the young actors involved, just to help it make make it a bit easier for them. So yeah, yeah. so. Not just all those things. I mean, those are just lovely little touches between Williams and Spielberg. And, and a trust between those two, uh, the, the music at the end, Adventures on Earth, which we, we've done with Bournemouth a few times, but it's a great piece of music. You've got the chase scene as E.T., Elliot and all his chums are escaping from the police. Then the, the wonderful flying theme as E.T. does his magic. Then they land a very sad farewell before E.T. reunites and blasts off back out in space again. But it's a huge piece of music. It's about 12, 15 minutes long. And John being old school, I say, had the big screen up there. He'd be conducting where you've got to get a few hit points where this happens, that happens. He manages the first one. The next bit, somebody splits a note. Right, so we've got to start again. And, and so on. So on. And eventually Spielberg just said to him, tell you what, John, forget that. Turn the screen off and just play it. Just play it as you feel it, as you want it to happen. And we'll re-edit the film around the music. <laughs> you just don't ever see that. <laughs> but what a lovely trust between those two and their understanding from the moment they first met. I think they both went, wow. I think John said about Spielberg, he said he's he he knows more than I've, or he's forgotten more than I know about film music and about films, which I love that idea. You know, he's had the knowledge and it's, you know, it's forgotten more than John Williams ever knows. So, you know, John famously doesn't ever go to the cinema. He never really listens to music. You know, he's often said this because his, his head is so full of it. And, you know, when you've worked on a film and you sat in the editing suite and the dubbing suite for, you know, seeing a film 50 times, I thought of going and seeing it again. <laughs> and he's such a perfectionist. He's always listening to things and going, oh, no, the bass is too heavy in this theatre. What's going on? So, you know, it's almost a curse, I'd have thought, for him, don't you reckon? <laughs> I think so, yeah. It's yeah. two wonderful choices, though. And, and yeah, it, that's definitely brought back memory seeing Jaws for the first time, but also watching E.T. recently and I want to go back and rewatch it for um, that little bit of trivia that you you mentioned. Um, yes. Yeah. Some yeah. fantastic choices and um, that was all my questions and it, it's been such a pleasure talking to you about um, music and I cannot wait to experience the Star Wars definitive concert and it yeah I, I don't think people are quite prepared for what the show that you're going to um, put on for them and yeah it's been so interesting uh, being able to talk to someone who likes film soundtrack and who actually is heavily involved in it and it's a personal you know passion of mine and just being able to kind of learn from the other end of it has been really really illuminating so thank you thank you for taking the time to talk to me about all this as well no my pleasure James well thank you for bringing it to you know to attention of all, all your uh, listeners and viewers here because you know I think the more people we can get to come to these things um as video games get closer to cinema they'll become one they really will and the composers these days are writing um for video game music as they are for film it's you know Giacchino's done both famously from his early um film stuff and his early um uh, video game music they're, they're getting closer and closer together and they will just become one and you know the more that people can realize okay great listening to those tracks but go and see them live they are amazing you know bring, bring your tissues bring your you know bring a big smiley face and all the rest of it you're going to get the lot you really are so it's a whole gamut of emotions <laughs> so yes can't wait fantastic perfect thanks cheers before we wrap up, I have a couple of recommendations for you. First up, brand new TV series, which is debuting this week on Paramount Plus. You have Wolfpack. Now, some of you will have thought of this as a Teen Wolf spin-off, and I know I've referred to it as a Teen Wolf spin-off before. That is not the case. That may have been the case originally, but that is not the case now. It is executive produced by Jeff Davis, who did uh, executive produce and write on the Teen Wolf series and the Teen Wolf movie, which also streams this week on Paramount Plus. 
but this series is something very, very different. It's based on a book series by Edo Van Belkum, and it follows a teenage boy and girl whose lives are changed forever when a California wildfire awakens a terrifying supernatural creature and drives it to attack a highway traffic jam beneath the burning hills. Uh, wounded in the chaos, the boy and girl are inexplicably drawn to each other and to two other teenagers who were adopted 16 years earlier by a park ranger after another mysterious wildfire. As the full moon rises, all four teens come together to unravel the secret that connects them, the bite and blood of a werewolf. Now, the reason I'm recommending you this show, because I actually haven't seen it yet, is it is also the return of Sarah Michelle Gellar, a.k.a. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She's executive producing and stars in the series as a uh, fire investigator who is looking into these strange, mysterious wildfires and will be drawn into, presumably, the mystery surrounding the wolves. What I've seen of it, it looks very, very cool. It's going to be a fun show for teens. It's going to be an amazing show for Buffy fans as a kind of legacy. Here's Sarah Michelle Gale are back in sci-fi. I am actually going to a very special event uh, this week as I am recording this where I may well be sharing air with Sarah Michelle Geller for a Q&A session about the series. But you'll be able to stream episode one in the US from Thursday the 26th of January and here in the UK from Friday the 27th. New episodes will air in the UK on, on Fridays the day after they stream in the US. So that is my TV recommendation for this week. I have a comic book recommendation for you as well. I want you to go and check out Justice Society of America from DC Comics. It releases issue two this week. It's written by Jeff Johns and features artwork by Mikkel Janin, Jerry Ordway and Scott Callen. Uh, it's written by Jeff Johns. Did I just say that? I've just had a mental blank. Uh, it's a really brilliant series, and it brings back a surprising character who has been missing from continuity for a long, long time, and it ties to the Stargirl The Lost Children series, which is also written by Johns and is releasing at the moment. It's a very cool legacy... I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it if you've not read it. Um, it's a very cool legacy DC series, which is tying together some disparate bits of continuity and making sure that some of the highlights of DC continuities past. So remember, we've had kind of the new 52 era, the rebirth era, etc, etc. This is sort of making sure that all of the best bits of DC's history exist in the current timeline. They're kind of going through a slight transitional period where they're not doing a relaunch in terms of here is a new era. But what they're doing is pulling everything together and making sure that they have all their best bits of storytelling at hand, ready and connected, so that as we move into 2023 and into the future, they've got the best of the best in their lineup. It's a really beautiful series. It's really well written, and uh, I don't want to say too much more because it has some wonderful connections to some really cool bits of the DCU that haven't been explored for a while. But go check it out. Uh, it The story actually starts in the new Golden Age special, which was released just before Christmas. And then you have issues one and two of Justice Society of America available now, as well as issues one to three of Stargirl, The Lost Children. Uh, those two aren't heavily connected yet, but I feel they might be down the line. So it is worth reading both. Plus, it's a great Courtney story anyway, which who doesn't want more Stargirl after the series has come to an end? So you can pick up those in comic book stores now. Now, in the last episode, I know I said I had some interviews coming up, and that was not the interview that is available in this episode. 
When we return with our next episode, we'll be talking about DC's upcoming animated movie, Legion of Superheroes, and we'll be joined by director Jeff Wamster, writer Josie Campbell, and also by voice actor Yuri Lowenthal, who plays Monel in the film. There might be a couple more, but we'll have to wait and see. So they'll be joining us next episode to chat about that film, which releases on DVD and Blu-ray in the UK on February the 6th, and on digital platforms on February the 7th. So, until next time, stay safe, stay well, and I will see you soon. Bye!